0: Good morning. morning. Please be seated. Last week, we uh, began a sermon series on spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. And we're going to continue that series today and for the next couple of weeks. And Father Johnston reminded us that we're in the season of Lent. And the season of Lent is a perfect time for taking stock of our spiritual lives and also a perfect time for practicing those disciplines that help us grow in the life of faith. Spiritual disciplines like prayer and solitude and service are all practices that Christians for many years have recognized as tools that we can use to do both of those things. Spiritual disciplines help us take stock of where we are, and spiritual disciplines help us grow. And today, we're going to talk about the practice that might just be the least popular Of all the disciplines. Lucky me. (laughs) I'm not talking about fasting or penance or tithing or solitude. Those things are difficult, but we actually we kind of like those things because they're difficult. They feel spiritual to us. The discipline we're going to talk about today is one that does not always feel spiritual. In fact, we're almost inclined to see this practice as in some ways antithetical to the life of faith. The practice that we're going to talk about today is study, a disciplined approach to how we think. Now, in order to recognize the ways that the practice of study can contribute to our growth in the life of faith, we have to clear the ground a bit. We have to, so many misconceptions about what is involved in the practice and the discipline of study and so many misunderstandings about the way it can contribute to our spiritual life that we have to recognize that the way that we think about study, the way we think about reason itself has been shaped by some very unhealthy assumptions. So the first thing that I'm going to do is identify some challenges that we face when we think about study as a spiritual discipline. Then once we've recognized those challenges, we'll be in a better position to think about how to overcome them and also more importantly, we'll be in a better position to consider how the practice of study can contribute to our spiritual growth. So there are, I believe, two principal challenges that we face when we think about the discipline of study as a means of spiritual growth. The first challenge is that we often confuse the practice of study with the practice of academic scholarship. And when we confuse those two things, we think that only those who are called to be professional teachers and professional scholars are also called to the practice of study. But I don't think that's right. And I think the history of learning and scholarship itself bears this out. Sometimes the people who make the greatest contribution to the advance of a particular field of study are not professional teachers or professional scholars. They're those who pursue study because they love it. They pursue it for its own sake rather than because they get paid for it. The benefits and the gift of a life dedicated to the practice of study and learning are available well beyond the walls of the professional academy. The second and perhaps more fundamental challenge that we face when we think about practicing study as a means of growing in the life of faith has to do with misconceptions that we have about the relationship between faith and reason. We live in a time and in a place in which we are encouraged to see faith and reason as being opposed to one another. Faith, we say, is about values and beliefs. Reason is about what? Facts. Faith is subjective. Reason is objective. Faith is private and personal. Reason is public. Faith requires Blind acceptance, but reason requires a healthy skepticism. Faith is fine for those who need it or for those who want it, but reason is what counts in the real world. And that misconception generates a whole host of problems that further complicate the way that we think about the practice of study. The opposition of faith and reason encourages us to relegate our faith to an increasingly narrow part of our lives. Spirituality is something that you can do with your privacy and in your free time, but the bulk of your life should be governed by other, more practical concerns. Concerns having to do with work and politics and technology or market economics. For all of that, you need reason, not faith. And as our faith becomes increasingly privatized, it tends to become increasingly idiosyncratic or weird. <laughs> you believe what you want, I'll believe what I want. We'll agree not to talk about our differences unless we feel that our beliefs start to impinge on one another. Because after all, we're talking about beliefs, right? Who's to say who is right? How could we possibly prove through reason that one account of the spiritual life is any better than another. Now we could go on at length to explore how we came to think about faith and reason in those terms. There are historical reasons why we are where we are today. And we could go on at length to unpack all the reasons why these ways of thinking about faith and reason are misleading at best. But we're not going to do that, at least right now. If you would like to talk about that sometime, let me know. I will be more than happy to get together for a nice long chat. (laughs) For now, it's enough simply to say that all of those challenges have eroded our sense of the importance and the value of study as a spiritual practice. But study is a practice to which all Christians are called, not only those who are teachers or scholars. Like prayer, like worship, like stewardship, like service, study is an integral part of the life of faith. It is through the discipline of study that all Christians are enabled to grow in their knowledge and their love of the Lord. And this invitation to grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord is one that we hear repeatedly throughout the scriptures. It is the invitation to learn wisdom, what the scriptures call wisdom. There is in the Old Testament an entire literary genre dedicated to exploring what it means to grow in the life of faith through learning and reflection and the cultivation of wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, we read, wisdom cries out in the streets, in the squares, she raises her voice. At the busiest corners, she cries out. At the entrance to the city gate, she raises her voice and says, give heed to me, for I will pour out my thoughts for you and you will live. And the testimony of the prophets call the people of God back from the way of falsehood and error to the way of wisdom and truth. In Zechariah, we read, Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgment that are true and that make for peace, so that the peoples of the world might seek the Lord. The witness of the people of God to the nations depends on their ability to give voice to wisdom. And then in the New Testament, we learn that wisdom is not a concept. Wisdom is not an idea. Wisdom is a person. We learn that the wisdom of God became flesh and lived among us and that we're invited not just to learn wisdom, but to have a relationship with wisdom, to live in wisdom and in so doing share in the life of wisdom and thereby share in the very life of God himself. In his letter to the Romans, Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And it's worth noting that in the Greek, the word that we translate as transformed, be transformed, is the same word that the gospel writers used to describe the transfiguration of Jesus. Be transfigured. By the renewing of your mind, be transfigured so that your mind becomes a prism that refracts the glory and the wisdom of God in the world. So we've talked a bit about some of the perceived challenges that we face when we think of study as a spiritual discipline. We've talked a bit about some of the ways that the scriptures invite us to learn the practice of wisdom. All of this prompts the question, how exactly do we do this? In the time that remains, I'm going to identify three practices that can help us cultivate study as a means of spiritual growth. And for those of you who want to hear more about these practices, I commend to you two books. The first is Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Father Johnston mentioned that last week. And the second is The Intellectual Life by the French-Dominican Antonine Sertelange. I'll give you spellings and titles if you want after the sermon. <laughs> The first practice is what I will call consecration. When we consecrate something, we set it apart. More specifically, we set it apart for the purpose of dedicating it to God and the service of God. And the first thing that we have to do if we are to cultivate the practice of study in our lives is we have to consecrate ourselves. We have to set apart some part of our time and some part of our energy recognizing the opportunity costs that are associated with that decision, and we have to dedicate them to God. We have to make sufficient room in our lives for other practices that will enable us to pursue the discipline of study. The second practice is what I will call concentration. Concentration is really another word for love. Concentration is also another word for worship. The beginning and the end of the discipline of study is both love and worship. To concentrate something means to bring it together at the center. And The center of our lives, the center of our thinking, the center of all things is God. So to learn concentration involves learning not only to see individual things in the light of God, but learning to see all things as they relate to one another in the light of God. And the third practice is that of comprehension. This means understanding. The discipline of study does not end with a flash of insight that reveals some new awareness or some new understanding. Rather, study involves unpacking that insight and exploring that awareness in all of its fullness. Because the center of all things is God, we can begin anywhere at all and we will always find ourselves drawn into a mystery that is beyond our understanding. The practice of comprehension has less to do with mindless repetition of information and more to do with a sustained willingness to be drawn further and further into the life of wisdom. Consecration, concentration, and comprehension These are the practices that sustain a commitment to the practice of study. These are the disciplines that we pursue, not just with our minds, not just with our hearts, not just with our wills, but with our bodies as well. And St. Paul understood this. St. Paul understood it's all part of the uh, the same package. In the same passage in Romans in which he talked about the transfiguration of the mind, he writes, present, not your minds, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated, holy and acceptable to God, this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transfigured by the renewal of your mind. The transfiguration of the mind involves every part of us so that every part of us might be made into a prism that refracts the wisdom and the glory of God. Study is that discipline whereby we not only learn the wisdom of God, we are enabled by our learning to share in the life of God himself. So whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about them. And the God of peace will be with you. Amen.